0: The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. And if you have your Bibles with you today, please open them with me to the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 2. 1 Timothy, chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 7 today. I've entitled today's message, First of All, Pray. First of all, pray. You may remember this occasion in Jesus' life and ministry, the Gospels tell us of Jesus going to the temple. And when he arrives at the temple, he finds out in the courtyard, uh, it, it's been set up like a, like a shopping mall. There's, there's money changers there, there's animals being sold for sacrifice. It's kind of this commotion of merchandise and commerce there at the temple. And you remember how Jesus responded, Uh, kind of a rare look at Jesus, you know, kind of rising up with a real zeal. And he turns the tables over. This is a violent kind of, you know, running these guys out, driving them out of the courtyard. And what did he tell them? He said, my father's house is to be a house of prayer. You've turned it into a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a place of prayer. So as we look today at the book of 1 Timothy, what are we looking at? We're we're looking at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a young pastor named Timothy, a pastor that Paul himself had left at a local church in the city of Ephesus to set things in order, to shepherd and lead that congregation. There were some false teachers that had begun to pop up and rise up in the ministry. They were kind of getting distracted in in doctrinal things. And so Paul wants to kind of really make sure that things get straightened out, and he leaves Timothy there to deal with it. Part of his letter, you know, he tells uh, Timothy how to conduct himself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So as Jesus, of course, wanted prayer to be a priority in his father's house, represented by the temple in his day, so the Apostle Paul, as he writes to Timothy in terms of pastoring and leading the local church, which he also declares to be the house of God, we're not surprised to discover that Paul is going to speak about the priority of prayer. Chapter 2 begins with an emphasis on prayer. And that's important for us because, after all, why are we here? We are here and gathered because we believe in our hearts that God has called us together to be His church, to be His house, to be a place where we can meet with God, a place where we can encourage and strengthen one another. And we are following the biblical model and pattern of the early church, how God is building and working. We see it in the Scripture, and it carries on today. So there are a lot of ideas about church and what it's good for, what it's not good for, why should we gather, is it important, but we must ultimately allow God to tell us what He wants taking place in, after all, His church, His people, our lives. So with that in mind, take a look with me. We'll look at verses 1 through 7, and then we'll come back and take a look at specific things together. Verse 1, therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Remember our setting. In chapter 1, Paul has already charged Timothy straight away. Timothy, you need to straighten out some of the false teachers that are already rising up there in the church. Correct them. Straighten out their doctrine. Make sure their doctrine stays close to the, to the gospel message that we've been called to preach and teach. And he talks about the gospel and just how God, God's grace and the gospel affected his own life. He gives something of his own story. And then he says, Timothy, I'm charging you, you must stand up and lead. You must pastor this church. You must fight and wage the good warfare. Don't shy away from this. Be the leader God has called you to be in that congregation. Having said that, he now comes to the subject of prayer. And this, and the, the, the verse starts with verse 1, therefore, in other words, in light of everything I'm saying, Timothy, because, I have, because you are called of God to lead, because you are the pastor there, because you must engage in the warfare, therefore, here's my instruction. These are the things that you must now enlist into the life of the church. And the first thing we notice is the priority of prayer. Point one today, the priority of prayer. Therefore, I exhort first of all. Now, first of all is not necessarily a reference to time, like it must be the first thing you do on the the bulletin, on the calendar, on the the service, but it's more a reference to priority. Timothy, listen, when the church is coming together, as people are gathering, as you're continuing in fellowship, make sure prayer is on the priority list. First of all, There needs to be prayer. It's a place and time where God is to gather and meet with his people. You know, we're blessed in that we have the opportunity to gather freely in this country that God has blessed us in. But boy, we need to be still really calling out in prayer, taking nothing for granted. I imagine in the early church that was heavily persecuted, just the opportunity to get together was something of a miracle, and they were thankful, and they would pray. And so we also, we pray, our ministry leaders and servants pray as they gather for our services. You may see ushers praying. You may see the crew praying. If you come early, you'll see people praying. We come together ourselves. We begin our services in times of prayer and worship. By the way, worship is an expression of prayer. Worship is prayer. It's just a specific kind of prayer. We pray, as we just did, to even receive and thank God for the, the resources of our offering. We pray and ask God to speak to us from his word. We pray for God's blessing in our response to the word. We have a prayer tent just outside the, in the courtyard where you can come and receive prayer. You, we, we take prayer requests on a weekly basis. We pray for one another. On occasion, you may see people praying, even here on the campus after service. People are in prayer. And we have formal prayer meetings regularly as a church. Prayer. First of all, prayer. It ought not be strange that prayer is a prominent part of our gathering together. It's not the only thing we do, nor was prayer the only thing that Jesus wanted to see done at the temple. There were many other things taking place, but certainly prayer should be central. Certainly prayer should be a priority. And I would simply say not just at church, Certainly at church, there should be prayer. You should be able to come to church and and receive prayer and engage in prayer. But it's really kind of a mindset as the church of Jesus Christ, as believers. Wherever we are, we're we're thinking in terms of prayer. You know, you, you can pray on and off the campus. You can pray at home. You can pray on the way to work. You can pray with one another via text. I'm praying for you. Here's my prayer for you. Prayer is something that should be prominent in our gatherings. It is clearly a priority that Paul lays out for the life of the church, a culture of prayer. And he talks, secondly, number two, something I'd like you to see with me, he talks about various types of prayer. What is prayer? Well, it's diverse. There are varieties of prayer. He mentions just a few. He says there in verse 1, supplications, prayers intercessions, and giving of thanks. He doesn't just say prayer. He says other words describing the variety of prayer. Supplications. Supplication is what you and I most often think of as prayer. It's a petition making request to God. When we say prayer, oftentimes that's what we think prayer is. Prayer is me asking God for help. Me inviting God's grace, me inviting God for, uh, you know, his, uh, to meet my needs. It's us asking God for things. And that is part of prayer. That's supplication, making our requests known unto God. But he uses some other words. He says prayer. It's more of a, he says the word prayer. It's a general word communicating all types of prayer, but it specifically kind of emphasizes an earnestness in prayer. Almost as if Paul is saying that that our prayers need to be sincere. We need to be really engaged. You know, do you know that prayer can become a religious rote? You know, you can mouth the words, you can memorize the words, and you can say them so kind of unconnected that they're really not coming from the heart. That's not prayer. That's just kind of speaking words. That's just mimicking. That's just kind of a religious duty. Your heart's not really connecting and engaging. Prayer is meeting with God. Prayer is is pouring your heart out to God and Him meeting you. It's communion with God. And it should be something that is done earnestly, sincerely, and it is a communication with Him. It speaks of an attitude of prayer an expectancy in prayer? Do you pray with a sense of urgency? Is there there a hunger in your heart when you come to pray? He also uses the word intercessions. Intercessions is that time where we would pray for the needs of others. Certainly, we pray for our own needs, but we also need to be mindful of the needs of others. Maybe you have a loved one that doesn't know the Lord. You can intercede, They're not praying. They're not walking with God. But you can pray for them. You can pray on their behalf. You can ask God to intervene. You can ask God to send witness. You can ask God to protect them. You can ask God to work in their lives, to draw them to himself. We can pray for one another. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, you know we go through various crises and needs, you may be, not be in a crisis right now, but you know someone who is. You can pray. Pray as if it were your crisis. Oh, you'd be praying if it was your crisis. Pray for one another. This engages uh, our hearts with God's program when we pray and intercede. He also says the giving of thanks. It's a grateful heart. It, it's an expression of worship. As I mentioned earlier, worship is a type of prayer. Prayer is communing, fellowshipping, talking to God. It's nothing mystical or spooky, but it's powerful. It's spiritual. We begin our services with time of worship. Do you know that's our prayer time? That is part of the church's prayer as we come and give thanks to God and sing to Him. We put it to music. We put it to music because I believe God has given music as a gift as an as something very special in, that connects our heart deeply it moves us it's more than just saying words it's expressed from the soul when it's expressed in song and we see it encouraged throughout the scripture new and old testament the whole book of psalms how many times do you see sing unto the lord make melody in your heart praise the lord with music with song with instruments giving of thanks In Philippians, you know this verse, probably by memory. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How many times I am desperate in prayer and I forget to say thank you for anything. I'm just too desperate to get my need out. Oh, God, help me. Oh, yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. But help me, Lord. (laughs) And I forget to just pause and reflect on his goodness. Listen, when you begin to think about God's faithfulness in your life, when you begin to think about who he is and you begin to magnify that, I love that song we sang today. I love that bridge. You have no rival. You have no equal. Yours is the glory, the power. As God is magnified, do you understand how that lifts your prayer life? Do you realize you're now praying in faith to a God that has no rival? to a God with whom nothing is impossible. As we give thanks, as we magnify, as we worship, it actually can give faith to your prayer. Number three in our text today, we notice the objects of prayer. Who should we be praying for? Prayer is a priority, and yet we are supposed to pray specifically. Verse one, the last part, That prayer would be made, that all this type of prayer would be made for who? For all men. We ought not just to be praying for ourselves, not just our families, though we should be praying for those things. Paul says, no, listen, church, the body of Christ, you have a mission on the earth. You need to be praying for all men. Don't just pray for you and yours. As a church, we need to pray for all men. And he expounds that for kings and all who are in authority. Why this just covers everybody. We need to be praying for friends, for family members, co-workers, fellow Christians, unbelievers. What about enemies? What did Jesus say? Pray for your enemies. Pray for those that are not even treating you right. I don't want to pray for them. My prayer for them is God just take deal with them. No, pray that God would save them. Pray that God would soften their heart. Pray that God would use your life as a witness, praying for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Interesting. Kings, clearly speaking of, in Paul's day, of those governing authorities. We have today presidents and governors and politicians. Boy, don't they need prayer. What kind of prayer are we giving for them? You know, I find myself, I'm just being honest, I find it so much easier just to critique them and just to criticize them and to just shake my head in disgust at them and wonder what on earth, how did they get there, who, you know, who voted those people, and all the things that we can imagine. And I'm not praying. I'm evaluating. I'm frustrated. And boy, if you watch the news for any amount of time, you can just get all worked up at all the things that are going wrong in government. Is that true? I mean, I don't care on what side of the political spectrum you are. Everybody's always frustrated, right? Everybody's mad at the other side, the other view, and it's just this contentious time. That's the season that we find ourselves in. So what should we find ourselves, what should be happening in the church? Prayer. We need to be praying. These are the, the governing authorities that God has established in our land, in our time. Romans 13, you don't need to turn. Paul says this, "'Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves.'" Now, Paul wrote that during the time of the Roman Empire. You talk about a tyranny of government. And yet he said, listen, God has allowed these authorities to exist at this time. Without those authorities, without those government authorities, there would be chaos. Uh, Man, you know, society would not function. They may even be secular. They may even, in Paul's day, they were pagan government authorities. And yet, he says, you need to be subject to them. You see, you have to understand that God is a God of order who places and allows authority to exist in our lives. If you can't learn to submit to authority, Paul says you can't submit to God because he's the one that's allowing authority. Even that, that unfair boss who is in authority in your workplace even if you're a teenager, even that crazy parent of yours that doesn't know anything, God has allowed that person, that individual, to be in authority. If you're a married couple, listen, ladies, even your husband, oh, that's a dagger. But even that guy, God has given certain authority in your, in your home, in the marriage. Even in church, God has entrusted pastors, ministry leaders Are men perfect? Are governments perfect? No, but God who is perfect is working His perfect will through these authorities. And so we should be praying. Now, I believe we should be, as Christians, we should be good stewards of our citizenship. I believe that we should be informed. I believe that we should vote. I believe that we should be engaged to support and initiate godly laws and principles for our land. But I also believe we should pray recognize that, that the world is not going to conform to God's laws and principles over the long haul. Paul said in the latter days there would be perilous times. So we, we know that although we're voting and although we're, you know, we're doing our part as citizens, we ultimately, you know, can't control the outcomes of what a rebellious people and nation and secular culture are determined to have. And we see the culture, we see our nations and our laws changing as a mere reflection of what's going on in the heart of the nation, the people. We're here to preserve as salt and light, so we must engage. We must do our part as citizens, but I believe we must also do our part in prayer. Instead of complaining and criticizing, we should pray. And we should be on our knees for this nation. We should be praying for our president. We should be praying for our governors. We should be praying for our local uh, governing authorities. We should be praying for our teachers in in the public schools. We should be praying for our pastors and ministry leaders. Paul says, for all men, especially all who are in authority, all who God is working through, they need prayer. Number four, I want you to consider the influence of prayer, the influence of prayer. He says to pray, he says to pray for these men, all men, all in authority. In the latter part of verse two, he says why, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Paul seems to be suggesting that if the church will pray, even in the Roman Empire days, That God can bring, through prayer, through the praying and witness of the church, God can bring influence into the culture. That you can actually affect your neighborhood, your community, that you can affect your nation to lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. That the social and political climate can be affected through the prayers of the church. I believe that. Now, as I said, there is this gradual turning away from God. It's inherent in every culture, in every generation, every, every nation has experience, experiences this in some degree, and we're certainly going through our cycle of that. But we can still preserve. We can still slow down the process. We can still pray and ask God to, to keep things together. Lord, just one more generation. Lord, just one more season. Lord, let there be one more harvest of saints for the, for the souls of people. Let there be one more revival in our time. Lord, let there be something of your light breaking through in our community, in our schools. We can pray. And through prayer, Paul is letting us know we have great influence. Why would he tell us that we, we could have the hope of leading a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness and reverence just through prayer? If it weren't possible, if it was possible in the Roman Empire, it's possible in the U.S. of A. We can affect culture and generation through prayer and through the witness of our Christian life, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. The idea is pray so that the culture will will allow you to live your life in peace for God, but also that you can live a godly example in your day. And we're finding more and more that the Christian faith is is being resisted and persecuted. Let's pray. Our battle is in prayer. Yes, engaged as citizens. Yes, engaged in the debate as, as it is appropriate. But our real strength is inviting heaven to move. Prayer for our nation, prayer for our culture, prayer for our generation number 5 we talk about that's number 4 influence in prayer number 5 reason for prayer number verse 3 take a look again for this is good and acceptable in the sight of god our savior that's a good reason it pleases god why should we pray because god is blessed when we pray it pleases god it's acceptable to god It's good. It's what the Lord has called us to do. We shared recently that verse out of the book of Revelation where there are bowls of incense that are offered up as a savor in God's presence. And John tells us that those are the prayers of the saints. Our prayers rise like an offering to the Lord. What can you give to God? What does he need? What have you got to offer that God just can't live without? Your heart in prayer. You can commune with him. You can turn your faith to him. You can honor him and give him the glory in worship. You can remind him that you're trusting him, that you're looking to him, that he is your God, that you are his people. And that is a blessing and a ministry. It's good. It's acceptable. It pleases the Lord. This is why we pray, because it's a relationship with him. But not only that, verse 4 says, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Paul seems to be letting us know that prayer advances the kingdom. Listen, pray for your leaders. Pray for men. Pray for the culture so that you can live a godly witness life. Because this is pleasing to God, and God wants to save. God wants to use your life, our lives, our church, to save, to show the light of Jesus, to bring the gospel to bear in our time. This is the heart of God. This is why he calls us to pray. Pray that God's kingdom will advance, because God wants to save all men. God wants all to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is what God ultimately desires, is that we would partner with him in the kingdom work work primarily through prayer. Prayer is one of our most effective weapons to bring and advance the kingdom of God. Jesus teaching his disciples to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How is God's kingdom brought to the earth? Pray. Ask God to work. God wants to work. God wants to show himself strong. And God is looking for hearts that would engage in prayer. I believe that the Lord in some cases is restraining his work, waiting for your heart my heart to align in prayer. God's ready. God wants to move. But he's teaching you prayer. He's teaching you faith. He's waiting on us to align our heart, to partner with him through prayer. If he brings it without prayer, we'll miss it. If he brings it too early, it will be wasted. God waiting on us at times to engage in prayer because God wants to save. Let's pray for a climate to live and witness for him. Let's pray that God would save the lost. Are you aligned with his desire? Listen to a couple promises from Jesus about prayer. You don't need to turn, but I'll remind you, I think some of this will be familiar to you. John chapter 14, verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What a promise. But look at the context of the promise. This is not a a carte blanche. Hey, anything you want, anytime, just ask. And as long as you put, you put the tagline on it, in Jesus' name, it'll happen. No, he's saying, the works that I've done God wants to do through you, even greater works. I'm going to the Father. I'm sending the Spirit. You're all going to be filled with the Spirit. You're all going to be engaged in the work of the kingdom. As your heart is engaged in the work of Jesus, that's the setting that he says, ask what you need. Because when you are asking along the lines of what I'm desiring to do and the work that that the Father is wanting to accomplish, you're going to have it. That's asking in Jesus' name. As a disciple, as a follower, as a true believer and wanting to do the work of Christ, there is great power. Paul talking about prayer to Timothy is reminding Timothy what God is really up to. So much of our prayer, let's just be honest, is you know, just off, off target. We're off in our priority. We have our agenda. Oh, God, I need this. We need that, this, Lord. And it's all, but God is over here. Hey, that's not what you need. That's not what I even have for you. Will you get back, will you get back on course, back on mission, and start praying in line with my heart and the things that I'm wanting to do and have called you to do? Individual, church, God wants to work, but he wants us on mission with him. That's the setting for prayer, asking heaven's will to be done on the earth, not asking my will. Goodness sakes, if we all just had the power and ability to execute our will on the earth, what kind of mess would that be? We need God's will advance, and God wants our hearts aligned. Jesus also said in John 15, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. As we align our purpose with his, as we go in his name, as we are bearing fruit to his glory, we find great purpose in prayer. Number six, and I have only seven in total, so we're almost done. Number six from our list today, I want you to recognize this access to prayer. Notice the position that you have. You have access to pray. You know, years ago, uh, went with family. We did a little touring in London, and we went to some of the old castles, you know, some of the the, the, the royalty, the royal castles in England. Very impressive, old structures, you know. And the way they set up the castles as you, you know, after you walk through two or three of them, you kind of get the, the gist of it. The king and queen had their place of residence. They had their immediate uh, kind of courtroom where people would come and visit. And then all the other rooms were all kind of a little farther away from the king and queen, and depending on your social status and your connection uh, determined at just what rooms you could be in and what rooms you were not allowed in and of course the rooms that were closer to the king and queen were the higher social status you know I mean, you could just imagine what that would look like oh yeah we we're, we're invited to the palace oh really what room Oh, well, we, we stay in the room next door to the royal court. Oh, well, we're down on the, you know, the out, outcast room. We're just beginning to get to know the family, whatever the case. I don't know how it all worked. But it just impressed me how, you know, <clears throat> this idea of access, access. And I couldn't help but think of what God has given us access to. We have, we are invited into the very courts of the king and you can come boldly, you can come freely, you can come as often as you like. Can you imagine that kind of access? Can you imagine how often you would be there talking to the king if you knew you could come anytime? We have that kind of access with the Lord, and yet so often we neglect time. We have access, and we don't take advantage of it. Look what Paul says in verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Come and pray. Come because God desires to save and God has given access. There is this Jesus who has become the mediator between God and man. Can I pray? Will God listen? Do I have, you know, any hope of of really registering? Is he too busy? Should, you know, maybe I need somebody else really special to pray for me. You have access. You have a mediator. You have a high priest, one who gives access to God, representing you before God, representing God to you. His name is Jesus. He gave himself a ransom for all. He's the one that bought the access. You don't deserve to be there. I don't deserve to be there. But Jesus, who does deserve to be there, paid the ransom for our sin, for our division from God. He bridged the gap, and he invites us to come and to pray. Hebrews 4.14, seeing then that we have a great high priest, a mediator, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have such privilege to pray. We have such opportunity in prayer. Finally, number seven from our text today, we see this idea of preaching and prayer. Verse seven, talking about Jesus, talking about his mediation, talking about his paying the ransom for sin, talking about God's desire to save. Verse seven, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Prayer is connected with the, with the preaching and ministering of the gospel. As we pray, our hearts align with him. We become interested in the gospel. We become interested in the heart of God as we spend time with God. What does God desire? That all men be saved. That all men come to the knowledge of the truth. As you begin to pray, as you begin to commune with God, as you begin to worship, as you begin to fellowship with him, your heart becomes affected with the gospel. And Paul says, this this becomes the occasion to preach. Having spent time in prayer, you become emboldened to share. Paul says, this gospel, this message, I've been called to preach it, to speak it to the Gentiles in faith and truth. Paul would say this to the Ephesian church himself in the letter he wrote to them in Ephesians 6 and verse 19. He was asking for prayer. And specifically, he said this, pray for me that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul is asking and inviting prayer for himself that God would give opportunity for him to preach Jesus, to share the word. Are you praying that in your prayer time? Are we engaged in the kingdom advancement through prayer? There's a harvest crusade coming up. We can pray. Pray for a lost one that you might invite. Pray for, for great glory, for all the logistics, all the resource, all that's going on. That's one example. Pray that the gospel would go out with power in our day, because it's the gospel that saves. There's only one man, Jesus, that can mediate between us and God. He's the God-man. He was fully God. He became man. Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There is only one way to engage with God. There is only one way by which hearts and lives can be saved. There's only one message that can redeem anyone in our day, in our generation. There's only one hope for the nation. There's only one hope for our young people. There's only one answer for your life, for your marriage, for your soul, for your eternity. It's the name of Jesus. It's the gospel of Christ. Amen. And prayer, prayer is such a powerful tool to engage that work in our own lives, through the lives of others that God has given opportunity. Pray, Pray for evangelists. Pray for your pastors, your ministry leaders. Pray for our children's workers who are having the opportunity to share Jesus with young lives that don't know him. Do you know that there are kids in our children's ministry that know nothing about Jesus? Now, there are many who know lots, but there are many who don't know. Pray for this retreat that's coming up when we have teenagers, junior high and high school lives. Think about them. Think about what they're facing. Think about what's engaged in their hearts. Think about the struggle. There are some for sure that are going on this retreat that do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, let's pray. Let's pray that God, what can God do with one heart, with one life? When did you hear the gospel? Who prayed for you? Who prayed you in? When did you hear that message? Did it make a difference? Did it change everything? Oh, that someone prayed, someone shared, someone was engaged. They weren't so distracted with their own life. They weren't too busy for you. They weren't so busy chasing God for their own dreams. They took the time to pray and consider you for the gospel. And you're the fruit of it, and God's touched your life. Pray for opportunity for your own life. Pray for hearts to be receptive Pray for preachers. Pray for visitors that would come to our fellowship. Pray for the radio ministry as it goes out. Pray. First of all, pray, church. Be praying. Be connected to God. Because God desires all men to be saved. And come to the knowledge of the truth. This is what God is most concerned about. Saving. Rescuing lives. We have many concerns. Oh, and God, listen, God knows the number of hairs upon your head. It's not as though God is not interested in all the details of your life. He is. But most importantly, His interest in your life is salvation, is eternity with Him, forgiveness, fellowship with Him, access to His throne, communion with Him, help, grace, all that you need. Through relationship with Him, all of it discovered in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this clear encouragement from the Apostle Paul to Pastor Timothy. The Apostle, of course, anointed by the Holy Spirit. So, really, God speaking through the Apostle to the pastor saying God saying hey pastor first of all get your people praying first of all make sure that your church is a praying church and so lord my heart is compelled today as a pastor in this time and in this generation for this people that you've entrusted to this church your church I am compelled to say, brothers and sisters, first of all, pray. Pray and invite God's presence. Invite God's word. Invite God's gospel. Invite Jesus into our midst, into our lives, into our homes, into our families, into our generation. That we might see men saved that we might see the kingdom of God advanced. That's why we're here. That's why we gather. Oh, yes, there is personal strength, that the kingdom of God would be strengthened in me and my life. But, Lord, for our generation, you've gathered us to be a force. Help us to pray. Help us to be faithful in prayer. As our heads are bowed today, I do want to give an opportunity if you need to respond to the Lord. And it may be simply that you are here today and you know that God loves you and wants to save you. We saw it in the text. He's provided but one way for you, one way for me. There are not many ways, there are not many ideas. There's only one that God will receive it's His Son Jesus, who He sent to the cross as a ransom as payment, as substitute for your sin, for mine. He paid the price. The ransom's been paid, and now you're invited. Invited to the courts of the King. This mediator has paid the price, and he invites you to put your trust in him, to receive his love, to receive his grace, and to come to faith through Christ. I'd love to pray for you. If you've never taken that step, You've never truly put your faith in this one mediator that God has provided. But you're ready today. I want to pray for you. It's simply inviting Jesus into your life, putting your faith and trust in Him as your mediator, your Savior. God will forgive you, and God will bring the truth into your life. Maybe you're here today. You need to recommit your life. You know, maybe if you were honest, you'd say, Pastor... I'm I'm not I'm not focused on the kingdom. I'm not I'm not my mind's not thinking about what God's thinking about. I'm off on my own agenda. Oh, I know the Lord. I've come to the Lord, but I I'm not walking with Him in relationship to where I'm I'm looking to do the works that He's called me to do. No wonder my prayers seem empty. No wonder I'm frustrated. No wonder I'm entangled and distracted. I've got to come back to the Lord and recommit my heart to prayer and to aligning my will with His, surrendering and submitting to Him. Pastor, I need to recommit my life today. If that's your heart, I'd like to pray for you too, just as we close. So if you're here today, you want to receive Christ for the first time, or you need to recommit, realign your heart with Christ, I would ask you just to raise your hand and we'll pray here today as we dismiss anybody this morning. God speaking to you. You need to respond. You need this prayer. God bless you. There's one on the aisle, another one, a couple over here on my left. Any others? The Lord speaking to you. You want this prayer. You need the Lord. You need to come back to the Lord. Lord, for these hearts responding today, I ask that you would meet them. That you would meet them with your love and with your grace. This is a prayer we can trust in. Because we know that you desire to save. We know that you desire for all to walk and to know the truth. And that's our prayer. Lord, bring your truth to our hearts. For some may be coming to Jesus for the first time. The first step, cleanse them, forgive them. As they confess and acknowledge their need and faith before you. For others coming back to you and saying, Lord, I need need an alignment I'm off on my own. I I need to reconnect with you in prayer and center my heart on the kingdom and the work and the calling of your love upon my life. Bring me back to that knowledge of the truth. Meet them, Lord. Cleanse them and restore them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. To view and listen to more sermons, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.